Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. This morning, I'd like to start off with a little audience participation. So what I'd like you to do is to think back on the very best Christmas gift you ever received. You know, way back, maybe when you were a little kid, just go to a happy place, okay? <laughs> and then think about, what was the very best Christmas gift you can remember getting? Okay? Think about it for a little bit, because here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to turn to the person next to you and tell them, what was the best gift that you ever got, okay? Right now, go ahead, just take a few minutes, tell the person next to you, what was the best Christmas gift you ever got? Come on, some of you are not participating. Okay, now it's the other person's turn. Okay, switch it over. All right, all right. Knock it off, that's enough. Okay, uh, no, what I, just, I'd like to just kind of, for fun, just kind of go, we'll start over in this section just shout it out. What's the best, in someone in this section, what's the best Christmas gift you ever got? What? Okay. See, all right, I forgot to do this because somebody pulled that one in first service too. So here's what we're going to do. Husbands and wives and kids, those are automatic, okay? Besides that, all right? <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Someone. A coat? Diamond. Whoa, how about in the middle section? Big screen TV. A big screen TV. Woo. Now I'm thinking about when you were kids, okay? Things that your parents, no. Stretch Armstrong. I, I remember Stretch Armstrong. You know, you stretch small hat. Cool. Over here, what? An easy bake oven. Oh, yeah, I remember those. My sisters had those. <laughs> Cooking cakes with light bulbs, yeah. Uh, no, I, I'll tell you what, it's actually, I got a tie, but I got to say, probably my very favorite Christmas gift that I ever got as a kid was on my very first brand new bicycle. Yeah, I just, you know, that one, it just, you can't forget it, you know, because to me, like, that was proof positive. My parents loved me, you know, that's, that's kind of what it is. Well, this morning, we're taking a look at uh, this uh, whole idea of it's not about stuff, and we're actually going to start with a clip from a movie made a couple of, well, probably about 15, 20 years ago now, um, because it's about a kid named Ralphie Parker. And the story is actually being narrated from when he is an adult now, looking back on when he was nine years old and the one thing he wanted that was on his Christmas list. If you haven't seen it, watch this. Ah, there it is. The holy grail of Christmas gifts, the Red Ryder 200-shot range model air rifle. And there he is, Red Ryder himself. In his hand was the knurled stock of as coolly deadly-looking a piece of weaponry as ever I had laid eyes on. For weeks, I have been scheming to get my mitts on one of these fearsome blue steel beauties. My fevered brain seethed with the effort of trying to come up with the infinitely subtle devices necessary to implant the Red Rider range model air rifle indelibly into my parents' subconscious. One gift and one gift only. One wish and one wish only. 
Red Ryder, official range model, 200 carbine action, BB gun with a compass in the stock. Now, do you remember one of those kind of hopes and dreams? You know, that one present that you want? Because probably the, the, most, the Christmas gift you remember the most, the favorite one of all, was probably something that it was the one thing you wanted above everything else in the world. And really, truthfully, when your parents got you that, when you got that gift, it really felt like this was proof positive, mom and dad really love me. Because we equate love with giving. The problem is, although loving does give, it's not about stuff. And the problem is that we make this mistake that we measure love by the amount of stuff people give us. We measure love by how much we give to somebody else. And and so stuff becomes the measurement of love. And it seems like the older we get, the stuff, it just becomes more expensive. You know, but the truth is, that's it. It's stuff. We want stuff. We buy stuff. We wrap stuff. We give stuff. We get stuff. We break stuff. You know, it's, and on and on it goes. And last year's stuff that we actually absolutely had to have is this year's throwaway. And this year's bright, shiny stuff is going to be next year's garbage because that's the way it is with stuff. Stuff doesn't satisfy. And truthfully, truthfully, one day, All the stuff that we had ever hoped for and wished for for all of our lives will fall apart and fade away because it really isn't about stuff. Love is about giving, but it's not about stuff. 2,000 years ago, what we celebrate this Christmas season is that God gave the greatest gift of all, and what he gave was himself. In the person of Jesus Christ, a little tiny baby wrapped in cloth. And it was the greatest gift that God had ever given. And it's almost, as you read the Christmas story, it's almost as though God is so excited. He, he, is, just, he is just so excited because this is the best gift of all the gifts that he's ever given the human race. This is the best gift ever. And he's so excited about it. It's almost like he can't help but tell people. You know? You, you have this problem. At, we have this problem at our house, okay? There is someone in our home that is a sneak peeker, okay? And it's not me. But, you know, it goes in the closet, tries to find, unwraps just a little bit. And the thing is, our kids are grown and out of the house. <laughs> See? And this person thinks, I don't know. So the trick is to hide stuff where she doesn't get to peek. But I know she's going to peek, so what I do is I, I kind of set some stuff up just to be peeked at. And, and, and when you read the Christmas story, it's almost like that with God. This is the best gift ever, and he's, and he's kind of giving peaks along the way. Last week we looked at how he announced it to Mary, that God's going to do this incredible thing, and it's going to be through you, Mary. This is what I'm doing. And, and a little bit later, he does to a man named Joseph. He says, this is what I'm giving the world, and you're a part of it. And, and this morning, we're going to look at another guy named Zechariah. You may not know his story, but he is another one. In fact, God gave him a sneak peek long before he gave it to Joseph and Mary because Zechariah became the father of John the Baptist. And he told Zechariah, this is what I'm about to do. It's written in Luke chapter 6, Chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. Page 955 if you want to follow along. Because when the time comes, Zechariah makes this known. And this is what he says. 
Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through the holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then over his newborn son, he speaks these words, and you, my child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. What God is doing is he's giving a sneak peek says, I am about to do something like has never been done before. I am giving the greatest gift that I have ever given the human race. And I just can't help but tell a few people about it. Because in giving us himself through Jesus, what he was doing was he was giving us what we really, really needed. More than what we thought we wanted, what he was giving us was what we really needed. And he was giving it to us in a person. And in Jesus, what God was doing was he was giving us a promise. He was fulfilling a promise. And the promise that he gives to us for all of our uncertainty, whatever our questioning, whatever our doubts. And what I love about reading through Scripture, particularly when you read through the Christmas story, is these people were just like us. Sometimes we read about people of faith, and we think, oh, they must have been huge, you know, just incredibly different kind of people. They were just like us. They wavered and they hesitated between faith and doubt. Zechariah declares these incredible words, just bold and confidently and prophetically. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through the holy prophets long ago, to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to his father Abraham. Wow, that's incredible stuff. And he says it with such boldness. Except nine months earlier, not so much. Because nine months earlier, when God sends the angel Gabriel to tell Zechariah what he's about to do, Zechariah doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe it. And so the angel says, because of your lack of belief, you will not be able to speak until the day the child is born. Now, for some of us, nine months of silence by a spouse, that sounds like a pretty good deal, okay? But... (laughs) But that's what he was told. You will not be able to speak until the child is born. And it is not until the child is born that he makes this declaration. For nine months, he's had to keep this secret. Not be able to talk about it. And really what he was doing, on a very personal scale, he was experiencing what Israel had experienced for the last 400 years. Because God had bound himself to a people by a covenant, a promise. A covenant is an absolute and holy, solemn promise that God chose to make a promise to people. 
And he did so in this covenant. And he originally gave the promise to a man named Abraham some 2,000 years before this is going to happen. And then about 1,000 years later, he says to his servant David, this is what I'm going to do for you. This is the fulfillment. And now, for the last 400 years, nobody's heard from God. For 400 years, there is silence from God in Israel's history. No prophet, no word from the Lord, nothing. Now think about that, 400 years. Generation has come and gone, and another generation come and gone, and come and gone. 400 years, that's like twice, twice the age of our country. And now 400 years later, people are saying, does God really know us? Does God really care? Does the promise mean anything? Oh, they read the prophets. They knew what he had promised 400 years ago. In fact, actually, if you read it, Zechariah's words are very, very similar to the words that God spoke some 600 years earlier through the prophet Isaiah. Chapter 9, he will rule in David's throne and over his kingdom. He will make the kingdom strong and secure. His rule will be based on what is fair and right. It will last forever. The Lord's great love will make sure that this happens. God made a promise. He made the promise 2,000 years ago. A 1,000 years later, he reiterated it. 600 years later, again. But now it's been a long time, and nobody's heard from God. Until Zechariah says, what he talked about hundreds of years ago is now about to happen. God is fulfilling his promise. He is fulfilling the covenant. I wonder if you find yourself sometimes wondering and uncertain about God's love and God's care. And you wonder, does he really see me? Does he know what I'm going through? Does he really care? Do his promises really mean anything? Because right now, I'm not so sure. Because sometimes I think we have this mistaken notion that to be a person of faith means to never have any questions or any doubts ever again. But it's not called certainty. It's called faith. And by definition, people of faith are also people of doubt. We have times of question. We have times where we wonder, does God really care? Does he keep his promises? Do we, does we really matter to him? And the reason is because faith is not belief in a creed. Faith is not some intellectual assent to a theological position. What faith is at the bottom line is faith is a relationship of trust. And it's who we trust. And when you trust, you take a risk. But that's the only way to have a relationship. It's the only way to have a relationship. It takes trust. And it takes risk. And sometimes you think you know where you stand in the relationship, and sometimes you wonder where you stand in the relationship. That's the nature of relationships. It's all about faith. In the movie, Ralphie has this one great desire, this one great present. He doesn't want anything else but this. But he's not sure how to let his parents know because he has a pretty good idea. They're not going to go along with the idea. Watch this scene. Ralphie, what would you like for Christmas? Horrified. I heard myself blurt it out. I want an official red rider carbon action two and Joe Rainsball Ooh. No. Shoot your eye out. Oh, no. It was the <laughs> classic mother BB gun block. <laughs> You'll shoot your eye out. 
That deadly phrase uttered many times before by hundreds of mothers was not surmountable by any means known to kingdom. But such was my mania, my desire for a Red Rider carbine, that I immediately began to rebuild the dike. <laughs> I was just kidding. Even though Flick is getting one. I guess I just like some Tinker Toys. I couldn't believe my own ears. Tinker Toys? She never buy it. BB guns are dangerous. I don't want anybody shooting his eye out. If you ask my kids, at certain times as they were growing up, whether mom and dad loved them, based on what they got, when they got it, and the way that they wanted it, then probably sometimes they would say, I'm not so sure. Because we think love is about getting what we want, when we want it, the way we want it, and the timing that we want it. And we think if we don't get what we want, somehow, there's something wrong with the relationship. The truth is, Ralphie's mother does love him. The truth is, she cares about him. But he can't see that right now. And sometimes that's the way it is. Sometimes we don't get what we want. Life doesn't turn out the way we expected. It doesn't come in the way that we had hoped or in the timing that we thought we needed. And we wonder, does God really care? Does it really matter? And the truth is, in the coming of Jesus, God was saying, I always keep my promises. Here it is. This is the confirmation. And Zechariah says, and it's something new. It's something that had been talked about for centuries, but it's something new, and it's about to happen. And this is such good news that God fulfills his promises. This is such good news. It's not just for a few select people. It's for the world. This is good news, folks, and it needs to be spoken. And so he says over his son, his child, John the Baptist, and you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. The promise is not just for a select few, although that's what they thought. And the promise didn't come in the timing that they had hoped for. But Zechariah is saying, God keeps his promises, every one of them. And whatever your uncertainty and whatever your struggles might be sometimes, God always keeps his promises. He is the God of promise. And the promise of God is a gift of hope. And that's the second part of this, that God gives us hope. The promise is that he gives us hope, even in our despair. Because the truth is, believers and unbelievers, we all live in the same world. Those of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we live in the same world as those who don't. And because of that, we experience all the same things. We experience the same hurts, experience the same confusion, the same brokenness and disappointment, sometimes the same fears and anxieties. And the Bible has a word for that description of the human condition. Darkness. That's the world that we live in. We live in darkness and things don't always make sense. And sometimes it's confusion. Sometimes it causes us to wander. And sometimes it's the result of our own willfulness and pride. And sometimes it's the mistreatment that we get at the hands of other people. And sometimes, sometimes it's just the stuff of life. It's just circumstances as life happens. And in all of that, we sometimes stumble and we falter and we waver. 
sometimes we lose hope. And it's not just about God's promises. It's really about his love. And the promise of Christmas is God redeems. God shines his light in the darkness. Never give up. Never lose hope. Because even in the darkest of all situations, God works redemptively. It's what he does. It's what he did in Jesus. And that is a recurring theme, by the way, all the way through Scripture. That God is a God of light. And he's dispelling the darkness. Isaiah wrote about it. There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And Zechariah, you know, 600 years later, says those same words. Because of the tender mercy of our God, the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. That there is light. And slowly and steadily, God is making it known. And it is like the sun just coming over the horizon where you don't even see the sun at first. You just see a little bit of light. But the promise is there's always hope. And even in the darkest of situations, God brings light. God will not let the darkness win. He doesn't let the darkness win. And Jesus, 30 years later, in the middle of his ministry, said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The light is for you. The light is for me. In the middle of our confusion, in the middle of our wandering, in the middle of our disappointment, wherever we've been, whatever we've done, know this. God is a gracious and giving and generous and loving merciful God. And I think sometimes that's what we doubt. The goodness of God. Oh, God is just. God is sometimes angry. God is looking out on who's naughty and nice, you know. And sometimes we forget the very simple thing is He is a good God. God is good. All that He does is good. And sometimes in the middle of our disappointment and in the middle of our own darkness, we wonder if that's true. But it is. And what Christ represents is the proof of that very thing. While we might doubt the relationship, we might doubt because of our circumstances, sometimes it's because God is doing something we haven't ever imagined before. Christmas morning comes, and Ralphie and his brother open up all of their presents, and they get presents like, you know, a bunny sleeper <laughs> and socks and all those practical gifts, but no Red Rider range model 200-shot carbine action BB gun. Or does he? Did you have a nice Christmas? Yeah, pretty nice. Yeah, did you get everything you wanted? Uh, almost. <laughs> almost, huh? Well, that's, that's, that's life. Well, there's always next Christmas. Yeah. Hey, that's funny. What's that over there behind the desk? Where? Oh, behind the desk, against the wall over there. Why don't you go check it out? What? Santa Claus probably would. Yeah, yeah, 
Sometimes, God is saving the best for last. A smile on a father's face when he gives the gift that his son wants. I believe that's a picture of God. It's what God does because he's a good God and he does good things and he delights in his sons and daughters and he wants the very best for us although it doesn't always make sense to us. But the truth is, what he is looking for is not to give us our every want. What he desires most of all is a relationship. That's what God wants for you and for me, a relationship with him for whatever reason. But I don't think I will ever fully understand God cares about these creatures called human beings. And he delights in them. And he loves them. And he is good to them. And he longs more than anything else for us to live in relationship with him. John wrote about it in his first letter to the churches. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. We have fellowship, not just with God, but with each other. Now, what was it that Jesus said throughout his whole ministry? What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the gift. That's the gift. It is the gift of love. And it comes freely, not because we deserve it, not because we have somehow earned it or merited it, but simply because he is a good and loving and merciful God and he delights in the love of his children and he longs that they would love back and that they would love each other, that they would get along and learn to take the grace and mercy that they've received so freely and pass it on to one another. Sometimes God is saving the best for last. Sometimes, sometimes our disappointments are only the opening of a door to something new that we never would have thought of. You see, that's the way God works. And I will tell you from my own experience that some of my greatest disappointments in life have opened a door to some of my richest experiences with God. And if you're going through a dark time right now and you're wondering where is God and does he care and is he going to do anything about this situation, don't lose hope because the light is dawning. And slowly and steadily, the light is for you. There is hope because God does not let darkness win. It is the message of Christmas. It is the gift that he gave us in his son that God fulfills his promises and in his promises are hope. And what it is all about, what it really is all about is an expression of his grace because ultimately 
in this relationship, what God was doing was bringing forgiveness. And that's what he does. He gives us forgiveness for all of our, fla- all of our failures. Ralphie gets his BB gun. And of course, what do you do when you get a new present? Okay, Black Bart, now you get yours. Oh my God, I shot my eye out. <laughs> You'll shoot your eye out, kid. You'll shoot your eye out. Oh, oh, oh. Bibi must have hit my glasses. <laughs> In Christ, God gave his very best to those who needed it the most. Sinners. You know who those people are? It's the person sitting next to you. And the person sitting next to them. God did an amazing thing at creation. As he lovingly fashioned every creature that he made, as he shaped and designed us human beings, he gave an incredible gift from the very beginning, the gift of choice. He gave us the power to choose. And he warned us, he warned us from the very, very beginning that with choice comes consequence. With decision comes results. And he told us, be careful about your choices. And we chose. Adam and Eve first, but every one of us have been making the same choices since. We chose and we have suffered the consequence of it. And God sent to a man named Moses the law so that we would know the right choices. And we still chose wrongly. And then he sent his prophets to tell us what happens as a consequence to wrong choices. And we continue to make wrong choices. And through all of it, through the giving of the law, through all of the prophets that he said, there is one thing he did not do. There is one thing he did not do. He did not withdraw the power to choose. He still leaves that with each and every one of us. By the time of Zechariah, the birth of John the Baptist, the nation of Israel had spent over 600 years in oppression from outside enemies. It started all the way back with the Assyrians who came in and took over the northern half of the kingdom. And everybody thought, oh man, the Assyrians, they're terrible people. But then along come the Babylonians and they take over the Assyrians and then they come in and take in the southern half of the kingdom. And now all of Israel is carted off. And they're in Babylon, and everybody thinks they can't get any worse than the Babylonians, and here come the Persians, and the Persians overtake the Babylonians, and now it's the Persian Empire. And they think no one can be worse than the Persians, and here comes Alexander the Great, and the Greek come, and they take over. And they go, well, this must be it. This must be the end of it all. Greeks, that's it. And then the Romans come along. And for 600 years, 
Israel has lived under the oppression of foreign armies and foreign governments and they are longing for a hope and they're looking for a Messiah, someone who will come and throw off the oppressors, someone who will come and do what Isaiah talked about, shatter the yoke of those that burden them, the bar that is across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, and what Zechariah prophesies about. He's come to redeem his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear. It's coming. It's happening. Finally, God's going to come, and he's going to come with vengeance, and he's going to overthrow those mean, nasty other people, and he's going to establish his throne, and he's going to bring justice, and he's going to bring vengeance, and he's going to rule with power, only that's not what he's going to be. Because the thing that Israel forgot in all of their longing for a Messiah, they forgot why they were in this mess in the first place. It was what the prophets had warned them about and the law had told them about. They were in the mess they were in because of sin. They continued to make the choices of rebellion and disobedience and even wickedness. And the problem was not the enemy oppressors. The problem was within. And the problems in our life are not those people on the outside. The problem is me. There is darkness in me. And there is darkness in you. And what Zechariah declares is this Messiah is not what we thought. And it's not going to be a political situation a solution, and it's not going to be a military solution. It's going to be a solution of the heart. And so he says over his son, you will go on before the Lord to give his people the knowledge of salvation, rescue, redemption, through the forgiveness of their sins to guide our feet to the path of peace. Because you see, the real problem, the real problem is not those other people. The real problem is me. The real problem is you. And the very first decision that God made back at creation regarding us and the thing that he continues to this day to offer is the power to choose. He will love. He will show his goodness. He will extend his mercy. He will fulfill his promises. He will offer hope. But each and every one of us have got to make a choice. Because to have a relationship takes two. God has offered and fulfilled all that he promised. What it comes down to is, what's my choice? What will I do? Gift is given. Will I take it? Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.